Welcome to Two Girls and a Grape, where we attempt to learn about wine one bottle at a time. I'm Anne, and for two years in a row as a kid, I slipped on wet rocks and fell into a lake right before parent-teacher conferences. And I'm Drea, and as a child, I owned a rock tumbler that my parents instantly regretted buying for me. Yeah, I could see that. Yep. I mean, it was pretty annoying, um, as most things were in the 80s. Uh, Also, I am mildly terrified at how much we have in common. I have also slipped on wet rocks before parent-teacher conferences. Oh, no. And my first Holy Communion. Wow. Yeah. She's real talented that way. Um, well, do you want to start us off with our cheers and jeers? Cheers to fall wine club deliveries. This really is the most wonderful time of the year. (laughs) 100%. I have received three shipments in the last week. I have two more coming next week. And my house is ridiculous right now. I had a friend come over last night, who, by the way, is a sommelier. I was like, oh, wow, this is impressive. <laughs> tell, us about, tell us about one of the bottles you are most excited to drink. One of the wine clubs that I belong to is Kita. And uh, we've covered them before on this podcast. Part of their fall shipment features their new vintage of their Cabernet Sauvignon, and that wine is stellar. And I have their last two vintages, and now this one. So at some point in November, I want to do a little mini lateral tasting. So all all the goodies um, that are coming in almost on the daily, which I love. (laughs) Nice. Um, But my jeers is the supply chain supply chain be fucked up right now everyone it is a whole thing i've got friends who can't get furniture i have colleagues who can't get toilets and this last weekend i actually uh was in julian california mountains above san diego took my parents for some wine and pie and We went to a little winery out there that I really like called Mangini. I've got great porch out back. Um, Make some pretty solid wines, too, for the region. And, you know, march in there with my dog. And I'm like, we're here to do a tasting for four. And the poor woman's like, so we have a bit of a situation here. Let me explain this to you. Oh, no. They were only pouring their rosé and their dessert wine. And the rest of their wines were in the tank because their bottles were trapped in port. Oh, no. Actually, a and I had read about this recently. There is a huge wine bottle shortage right now. So a lot of your smaller independent um, wineries, and your, this includes your urban wineries, which you know if you listen to us that we love to support, are really struggling to get bottles. So even though harvest has come and gone, pressing is happening, stuff is just sitting in the tanks waiting for bottles at a lot of places. So yeah, the supply chain is fucked up. It's ruining my wine life. I mean, what can we do to help? Can we do like a World War II style, like collect all the wine bottles, mostly from 
our recycling and like bring them to our favorite urban winery? I mean, I'm about ready to, let me tell you, like, we should ask. I should ask David at Lusu. He'll tell me. Yeah. Be like, David, if I bring you some bottles, will you (laughs) refill them for me? I think this could be a new trend. It's like a wine growler. Yeah. Love this. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, see, look at that. Just turning a jeers into a cheers, starting a movement as we do. (laughs) So what are your cheers and jeers? I hope they don't have to deal with the supply chain. Um, Not much, but now you've got me worried. So my cheers are to dill pickle potato chips. Um, I was at the grocery store earlier this week and just picked myself up a bag. Utz is my preferred brand. These were one of the first snacks that I fell in love with when we moved to New York. I'd never seen them anywhere else. And of course, now lots of places have them, uh, but they remain delicious and such a treat. And I just, I love them. If you like dill pickle and you like potato chips, they're a good combination. So I feel like we really need to do a chip wine episode. I think so too. Like wine and chips are such a decadent combination. Maybe in our uh, January. Oh, yeah. As like a fuck you to diet new year resolution stuff. Fuck that noise. Dry January can fuck right off. Yeah. Yeah. So teaser everyone. It's coming. Chip wine. And speaking of things that are coming, I guess my jeers is to me because I am already buying Christmas gifts. And at the time that we are recording this, it is not even Halloween yet. But what can I say? I'm just getting ready or I'm scared about that supply chain. I mean, you probably should be scared of the supply chain. And listen, I know on our last episode, I really bitched about Christmas everything in October. But I, too, have started the gift purchasing process. The challenge that I have is that we have a really small apartment and not a lot of storage space. So as things start to come in, I'm like, okay, this doesn't need a permanent home because it's not going to stay here. But it does need to live somewhere for the next month and a half. So what am I going to do? The cat or the husband will not destroy. Yeah, exactly. Um, I would love to hear from our listeners, though, what kind of wine gifts they're giving this holiday season. So um, that's definitely something you can drop into our DMs on Instagram or email. And um, I don't know, we may have a little wine gift giving segment coming up soon. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I try once in a while. I have a good one. So for our shenanigans segment, this episode, we actually have some real goddamn shenanigans going on today, which I just want to be clear. I am being victimized by, um, and this is really going to be a torturous session. And Anne likes to say she likes to listen to me wax poetic about wine, but I really think she's trying to teach me a fucking lesson here. So Anne, why don't you tell everyone what you have in store? (laughs) Uh, In today's shenanigans, we are going to play a little guessing game. So I am going to read a description of a wine and Drea is going to have to guess first if it is a red wine or a white wine and then what the varietal of grape it is. So is it a Syrah? Is it a Movedra? Is it a Pinot Grigio, uh, it's all up to her, and she only has the the description to go off of. Pinot Grigio, oh Jesus Christ! 
you know, who can say? Who can say what's going to be in there? This is fucked up. She knows that this is like, this isn't even blind tasting. This is just like, no, this is just tasting with your ears. I'm so bad at this. So are you ready for your first description? I mean, no, but it doesn't matter. That's right. (laughs) Okay, here we go. We've got five of these. So here's number one. Rich and lush, but anchored by a distinct meaty character to the green and black olive tapenade, all of which are joined by cracked peppercorns and allspice, finishing with boysenberry and blackberry liqueur-filled chocolate. That finish is seamed through with subtle smoky notes that play up the savory side of this broad-shouldered wine that carries its alcohol beautifully. Is this a red or a white? Okay, this is a red. Where the fuck are you correct descriptions from also? Look, the internet is a rich and varied place. Fucking internet. Um, okay. What kind of red do you think it is? What varietal? I am going to say, based on the combination of black pepper, berries, and baking spices that you just rattled off, that this is a Cabernet Sauvignon. Ooh, so close. This is actually... A Zinfandel. God damn it. <laughs> and specifically, I just described the Mount Peak Winery Rattlesnake Zinfandel from Sonoma County. What the fuck? Fine, be that way. Okay. All right, you ready for your next one? Wait, and a Zenit, hold on. I'm taking some issue here. I'm just telling you what they said. Zen, okay, granted, a Zen does have some like allspice baking spices and black fruit um but it tends to be a more of a medium body red apparently this one is rich and lush this one can fuck right off all right all right you ready for number two fine okay this description is a little shorter so we'll see what you make of it stupendous toast Sweet spice, vanilla, and coffee nose. Dark plums and vanilla dominate the palate. Rich and sweet-fruited, complex and very classic. Youthful, unshackled glory, deliciously well-played. Vanilla. Let's start with the first question. Is this a red or a white? This is a red. Correct. Okay. Um, let's see. Can you go through the flavor palettes again? One more time. Sure. I'm just going to start at the beginning again. Fine. Do that. Stupendous toast, sweet spice, vanilla and coffee nose. Dark plums and vanilla dominate the palate. Rich and sweet fruited, complex and very classic. Youthful, unshackled glory. That's my favorite part. Deliciously well played. Youthful, unshackled. Girl. Like, what does that even mean? What the fuck is that? Um, I can't believe I'm gonna go with this. <sighs> I'm gonna. S- oh, the youthful, unshackled glory is throwing me off. I know. 
the so the vanilla the coffee the baking spices the fruit um all of that is highly reminiscent of a merlot but when we talk about a, a youthful glory i don't think merlot i think more of a grenache um i'm gonna go with merlot that's my final answer both were wrong fuck what the fuck both were wrong it was a tempranillo the, the fuck it was but absolutely whose fucking tempranillo is this the specific one is heredad panguea sudupe tempranillo from rioja spain no, I refuse. <laughs> no. Fucking fucking temperate. Fuck. Right, you ready for your next one? Ugh, well, yeah, you ready for my next massive failure? I'm excited about it. I'm so glad you're enjoying this. You okay. have no idea how much she's getting off on this, everybody. So much. <laughs> Whew, is it hot in here? <laughs> okay. An ice planet barbarians for her. <laughs> this wine has a nice dark color. It exhales delicious scents of blackberry and raspberry enhanced by hints of spices. It is rich, complex, and long on the palate. Its rich and complex aromas will perfectly match grilled lamb with herbs, pate, cheese, and chocolate desserts. Okay, so we've got a red. Yep. Let's see. Lamb, huh? Cheese, chocolate, desserts. We've got a red. And pate. Thank you. It's got a long finish. So that tells me if it's got a long finish, we're dealing with a full body mature wine do you give me the flavor profiles one more time in other words read it again it exhales delicious scents of blackberry and raspberry enhanced by hints of spices it's rich complex and long on the palate its complex aromas will perfectly match the grilled lamb herbs pate cheese and chocolate desserts and it's got a nice dark color. I'm going to say Okay, I'm torn between a Syrah and a Movedra. <laughs> Let's see. I'm going to go with a Syrah. You're right. Fuck, finally! Jesus Christ! <laughs> this I got is, one. <laughs> this is La Belle Angèle uh, from France. I didn't write down where in France. Also, you know, if you had gotten just a general description of a Tempranillo, I prob I would have gotten that one too. Look, but I'm I not trying to describe. I'm just, I'm just trying to play the game. Or a Zin? Yeah. Oh, I He's see. playing the game. Fucking trying to hunger games me. Okay, bitch. Okay, are you ready for the next one? Yes. Okay. On the nose, hints of lemon curd, 
fresh nectarine and nutmeg, followed by flavors of Meyer lemon, white peach, and hints of creme brulee on the palate. Overall, it has a great concentration and an elegant finish. Okay, so we're definitely dealing with a white. Yes. Nectarines. Did you say Meyer lemon? Yes. Nectarines, Meyer lemon. White peach and hints of creme brulee. White peach, creme brulee. I am going to go with, okay, this is either a Is this a Vermentino? It is not. God damn it. Really? Okay, wait. No, I lied. It's not a Vermentino. You're right. White peach, creme brulee, Meyer lemon. All right, I got this. It's the Chardonnay. Yes. Fuck. Okay, good. Good. Finally. Finally. (laughs) That's two. That's two out of four so far. Oh, wait, you said lemon curd, not Meyer lemon, right? I said me- I said Meyer lemon and creme brulee. Oh. But lemon it- curd at the beginning. On the oh. nose, hints of lemon curd, fresh nectarine, and nutmeg. Okay, got Either it. Either way, you got it right. All right. Chardonnay. Yep. My f- nemesis, fine. That is a Kellyanne Vineyard Chardonnay. I think that's in California. I was really going for something that I thought you would hate. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate yeah. Okay, are you ready for the last one? Please, let's 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 have it be over. Soon. Okay, uh, I'm just gonna tell you right now. I went for something that I thought was gonna be weird. Oh, great! Thank you. Because yeah, these other descriptions haven't been <laughs> ridiculous. Okay, a salmon rosé that stands out for its excellent condensation and its spark with elegant aromas of ripe strawberry cherries, tomato leaves, and soft spicy notes. Refreshing taste with a noticeable acidity, a delightful fruity character, and a long aftertaste. Okay, so it's a rosé. Yes. (laughs) We know that. Um, Tomato leaves. Okay. Tomato leaf. So it's got a little bit of like a vegetable herbaceousness to it, sounds like. Now, when you, okay, read them to me one more time. A salmon rose that stands out for its excellent condensation and its spark with elegant aromas of rips, rich, sorry, ripe strawberry. T- cherries tomato leaves and soft spicy notes refreshing taste with a noticeable acidity a delightful fruity character and a long aftertaste and this is you think this is weird this is you think it's a weird one (laughs) i googled unusual wine varietals to find this jesus fucking christ okay um so I'm trying to think of like the normal um, 
like the the usual suspects for rosé like what you make rosé out of but it sounds like this is not one of those i mean maybe it's one of those in some places you shush uh i'm gonna okay so cherry strawberry tomato leaves I'm going to go with, it's either, I'm going to go with a Sangiovese. That is not correct. Fuck! <laughs> is it a Tempranillo Rosé? No. I would not have two Tempranillos in here. No, it could be a tricky question. You're being kind of a tricky bitch about this. It is a Zeno Mavro from Greece. Oh, fuck me. <laughs> I told you. I was like, what can I make that's weird? So it is from Oenos Nature, Rosé Zeno Marvo. Uh, and I don't know anything about it, but it sounds pretty good to me. I've I've had wine from that vineyard. <laughs> I've, I haven't had the rosé from them, though. I've had their reds. The Zeno Marvo, like, red. So of the wines that I described... Which one do you think you'd be most interested in tasting just based on the description, not based on what you know? So you can't just rule the Chardonnay out right away. Fine, if I must. Um, so I want to drink. Okay, so there was the there was the Chardonnay, there was a Cinemarvo Rose, there was a Zin, mm-hmm. there was a Tempranillo. Neo and a Syrah. Syrah. Okay. So I'm not going to drink the Syrah or the Chardonnay because I got those right. You know, the, the Zen really threw me for a loop. And I drink a lot of Zen. So, and I spend a lot of time in Zen wine country. And so I want to, and was it, was it Californian or was it French? Sonoma County. I don't know if it was a natural wine, so I don't know whether or not it's the kind of place that you would have come across. Fair, fair. Okay, yeah. So I would drink that because it was some of the finishing was really throwing me off in the the body of it. You know, Zins are, are great. They're zippy. Um, they're peppery. They've got good fruit, but they they and or if it was an aged Zin, did you get the year? The twenty sixteen. Oh, okay. That I should have paid better attention to that. Oh, but wait, I didn't know that. Yeah, I just got flavor notes. I didn't get aging notes. <laughs> Trigger- <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Fine. Well, great job. You got two out of five. Sufficiently humiliated. I hope <laughs> you were right. You were right every time when it came to if it was a red or a white. Oh, thank God. I have like some sense I can read. <laughs> You know what lemon means. <laughs> uh, I am a lemon. <laughs> well, before we get into this wine that we're drinking right now, do you want to tell the story of why this episode is called Wet Rocks? Let me talk about something I know about so I can fucking redeem myself here. So the wet rock story. I think it was the first time I was in New York 
after you had moved there. Yeah. We had already been to Barcelona together. And so Anne said, we've got to go to the Spanish restaurant called Boqueria. You will love it. I was like, great. I'm in. So we, we go to this restaurant and first of all, they're fantastic. There's a number of them in New York city. Uh, their menu is great. Their wine list is superb. They really do things top notch in a Spanish style. Highly recommended. Uh, go there every time I'm in New York and goes there every time she needs a really solid happy hour. So it's a great spot, but we were looking at, the, I was looking at their wine list and, you know, trying to find something uh, that the table could enjoy. And they had, they happened to have the wine that we're drinking on this episode on their list. And it's one of my favorite wines in the world. Um, and we'll get into that in a bit, but <laughs> I was so excited. I almost missed like how they categorize the wine. So whoever writes their wine menu, their um, beverage director, their psalm was, I think, trying to be very cheeky and had given the different categories of wine um, names beyond like white, rosé, red, full-bodied, um, but had tried to have more like flavor descriptors to guide the menu. So I think there was like, like spring meadow or florals like shit like that right it was all very lyrical and poetic and then i've got it open right now do you want to hear what some of the options are oh yes please do so for their wines you can order something in the category of aromatic and unexpected okay richly textured got it the road less traveled i think that might be a new one that's a new one that's where this wine should be, but go on. <laughs> Easy to love. Bunch of Riojas, yep. <laughs> Aging gracefully. Not I. <laughs> Spice box. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Powerful and complex. Okay. And high altitude. high altitude. And then they also have things like rosé and orange, which don't get special descriptors. How dare they? They deserve special descriptors. And then, of course, we have wet rocks wet rocks so that's what this wine was listed under and i think we talked you know we had had a few by this point we talked to the way and we were like buddy this is not the way to sell this bottle uh because it's so much more than that but in some ways it is a great descriptor of this wine once you really get into the bottle so let's talk about it yeah tell me more tell me more than wet rocks <laughs> so uh, Wet Rocks is the code name for this episode's bottle, which is the Lestan Negro Carbonic from Bermejos, uh, their 2020 vintage. And Bermejos is a bodega located in Lanzarote, one of the Canary Islands um, that belongs to Spain. So the price point for this bottle, and I just have to share this because it's so crazy to me, retail at the vineyard. So you go to the vineyard, which I've been to three times now, and it's 10 euros for the bottle. Domestic retail is probably right around the $30 mark, um, sometimes more. And if you can find it in the restaurant, you know, mark that up 100 to 150%. But it is for the price that you pay retail at the vineyard, it is an incredible value wine. And I would say even if you can find it at a wine store here, and Bermejos is one of the few 
uh, Lanzarote wineries that has a pretty solid distribution in the United States, it's still a steal at $30. So the ABV on this bottle is 13.5, which is structure and texture, but it's not going to knock you on your butt. And the reason why we selected it is one, our rock story, but this wine really did change my like wine life in so many ways. Um, So my first encounter with Bermejos as a winery was, I was actually out to dinner at Jose Andres's restaurant that he had in Beverly Hills um, at the SLS, which is now gone. It was my husband's birthday. And so we went out for a very nice Spanish dinner and I decided to order a bottle of sparkling wine. And uh, the bottle that I had ordered was from the Penedes region. It was a very famous Catalan producer called Ramona, and they were out of it. So the son came over and talked to me and said, you know, I have this other bottle that I think you would like. And he brought over a bottle of sparkling Malvasia from Bermejos. And the moment I took a sip of this wine, I looked at my husband and I was like, we need to go to this island. Like this needs to be our next vacation. It was unlike any other sparkling I had ever had. And now I've tasted extensively across the island and I just love their wines. Um, And Bermejos is something I always stock. Um, My local bodega is able to get it for me by the case. And so I I'll source cases about twice a year. Ones that are easy to get in the States are the sparkling, uh, the Malvasia, which is uh, white that is very prominent on the island, a white varietal, uh, the Listan Negro, which is probably the main red grape that grows on the island. And then they also have a Listan Negro Rosé that you can find pretty readily here. Um, That's fantastic as well. So this is one of my absolute favorite bottles from one of my absolute favorite producers in the world. And if I could drink any wine on the daily, this would probably be it. So let's talk a little bit about um, Bermejos and about Lanzarote. So the varietal that we're drinking today is a 100% Listan Negro. And uh, Listan Negro, like I said, is the main red wine grape that's grown in Lanzarote. And it definitely seems to have originated in Spain. And it is also very commonly grown in the Americas, especially Central and South America. So this one, this particular grape varietal was one of the first varietals that was brought over from Europe by missionaries during the early conquest and colonial period from, you know, like the California Southwest region of what is now the United States and then down, um, of course, into Mexico, other parts of Central America and South America. And so here, the grape is now called Mission. So if you find a Mission, which you find quite a bit, it's emerging now a lot more in California. It's kind of one of these ancestral grapes that's been recovered. Um, And it's very, very popular in Mexico uh, and in Chile, where it's called uh, Pais. Have you had a uh, Mission and how does it compare to uh, the Listan Negro to you? 
I do. I've I've had um, several missions, and I've had one of my favorite producers down in um, Baja. So they are south of Ensenada. It's called Pelafox. They do a Mission Rosé. That's amazing. Um, and I've had Pais, uh, of course, from Chile. You know, it's all based on terroir. So mm-hmm. the the landscape and the soil in Lanzarote is so unique that it gives a completely different characteristic to the grape, I think. And, you know, we'll talk about that as well as we move into the episode and talk a little bit more about the landscape. Um, but, you know, it is a very common grape uh, on this side of the the globe as well. And the vines... You know, we're, we're just finishing up the harvest season. So for this particular varietal and in Lanzalote, where the climate is very temperate, I mean, you're hovering, it doesn't really dip too far below 60. It doesn't really go too far above 80. I mean, it's a pretty cushiony, fantastic island climate. But the great, the vines typically mature at the beginning of September. Uh, and they're really known to produce medium bodied, highly aromatic wines. And so this particular bottle is a carbonic method of production. You know, we just drank of carbonic recently. So hopefully you all remember what that is. If not, go back and listen to that episode. Uh, And they produce about 15,000 bottles of this particular wine every year, which still isn't a ton, you know, and they, most of the wines that you find in Lanzarote, and one of the reasons why they're so hard to source is that they stay on the island for the most part. Uh, you know, any of the, the nicer restaurants you go to all have local wines. Uh, there's a, It's a huge part of the economy of the island. Uh, the island is very much, it's not, you know, super industrial. It's not super agricultural outside of the wine industry. Um, there are a lot of people who have vacation homes on the south end of the island, um, mostly Brits and Germans. But, you know, they're kind of a resort-based place. The wineries are all in the interior of the island, near the state park where the dormant volcano sits. Um, but most of the wine stays there. And even, you know, in mainland Spain, it's it can be hard to find, and in some cases impossible to find, wines from certain vineyards. So we're really lucky that Bermejos has figured out their distribution process. And if the supply chain hits them, I probably will go insane. So since we know how much you love... Uh, dirt. What can you tell me about um, about the Canary Islands and Lanzarote and the history of it and how that kind of impacts the the terroir like you were talking about? Okay, so I fucking love dirt, as we all know. And it is very much an acquired taste because the minerality from the volcanic soils on these islands is so intense. Um, but if you are an adventurous drinker, and you like wines that have a strong minerality, that have um, earth undertones, that have a bit of a salinity to them, these are going to be your jam all day long. Uh, So I want to read you something from the Bermejos website, which I was just like, talk about waxing poetic. So one of the ways that they introduce their wines on their website is, quote, extended, apocalyptic, untamed, desert, moon-like scenery field, 
carpeted by black volcanic ashes, sealed by semicircle fences of rock that nest single vines. These few words describe the landscape scenery that hosts the viticulture of Lanzalote. And that is absolutely true. You go there and you look like you are on another planet. Um, it is truly otherworldly beauty. And um, sidebar, Marvel's The Eternals, which just is either came out or is about to come out, uh, was partially filmed on the island. So that gives you a sense of its otherworldliness. And even though the Canary Islands are technically part of Spain, um, they're actually the islands that are closest to the northern coast, uh, the northern west coast of Africa. So they're just about 100 um, kilometers off of Morocco and the Western Sahara, hence that very temperate climate. The other thing about the Canary Islands is they are also settled and colonized by Spain around the same time as um, like the Caribbean. So the legend has it that Columbus with his Nina Pinta Santa Maria bullshit um, had some issues. I mean, the fucker got lost. Couldn't, I don't think he was a great sailor, to be quite honest with you. Had some issues right out of the gate. There was a problem with one of the boats. And supposedly um, him and his brigade of sailors or in conquerors or whatever stopped on Gran Canaria, which is now kind of the capital island of the Canary Islands, um, and hung out there for a while. There's a bunch of colonial architecture there now. Um, and you look at the architecture and you eat the food. And it's very reminiscent to me of like being in Puerto Rico or being in Cuba. So there's some really interesting cross-cultural comparisons going on there. Um, let's see. Oh, here's a cool fact. Lanzarote is the second island that emerged from the ocean in this region 11 million years ago, right after the island of Puerto Ventura, which is another one of the Canary Islands, one of the, the smaller ones. So, you know, some fun stuff for all of our geology friends. And it's really known for its black and red volcanic soils. Um, there is a giant volcano that sits in the middle of the island. And there's a beautiful park that you can go to there. Um, I've been there. You can, you know, hike around the volcano. It, it's, it's just gorgeous. It's an incredible place to visit. And the island has been declared a UNESCO biosphere reserve. So 40% of the territory of Lanzarote is protected as natural area, um, which includes their national park there. So all of that really leads to a very specific vine culture. So the vine culture in Lanzarote is characterized by two major things. First, that volcanic soil that we've been talking about that's really rich in minerals and gives um, the grapes a very distinctive flavor at palate. And two, and I think this is really interesting, and I don't think we've talked about this too much on the podcast before, the vines in Lanzarote were untouched by the phylloxera plague. So phylloxera was a disease, a parasitic disease that attacked 
vines across. I mean, it just decimated the wine industry across Europe and just destroyed everything in the second half of the 19th century, so late 1800s. And what happened was um, a lot of European winemakers had to graft rootstocks of what they could salvage with American vines, which had developed a natural immunity to the parasite, you know, being grown here on the North American continent. And so in order to save the industry, necessarily now almost any wine you drink in from Europe is a hybrid wine. So unless you're on one of these islands like Santorini, the Greek islands, Crete, those are other places where Loxera really didn't um, have an impact. But if you're drinking mainland you know, European wines, they're probably um, hybrids with American vines as well. So don't let some French chateau give you some bullshit that they have like 500 year vines that remain untouched by time. That's some garbage. But in Lanzarote, these really are ancestral or um, what do we call those fucking to me? Oh, like heirloom wines or vines or heritage vines. I don't think that's a thing. I just think it should be a thing. So I'm going to say it. The process though, of you know the graft like dealing with the phloxera and the grafting so many varietals have been lost that will never be recovered um that they just don't grow anymore so we're incredibly lucky to still have the listan grape or the mission grape uh to really hold that viticulture heritage of the island now the island is interesting because it's got the volcanic soil and it's also known for like pretty crazy winds, just like, you know, any island that you go to when you've got all those like trade winds going across the ocean or stuff like that. They have a very particular growing process there with how to deal with all of this. And we'll post some photos on the Instagram too. Um, so volcanic ash doesn't have any like organic wealth. You, if you plant a succulent there, like not a whole lot's going to happen. Do you know what I mean? Like it, the vine or the roots need to have some depth um, into actual soil for things to grow. So what you see across the island is wine growers sink their vines. And what that means is they dig a hole through like the top soil, so like through that black soil, and then they plant the vines directly in to nutrient-rich soil. So they look like these little um, like concave dips and they build these rock cages around them to protect them from the wind. So they actually don't grow on like on trellised rows the way you're probably used to seeing them when you visit a, a vineyard in the States. Um, they grow closer to, I've only the only other place I've seen this is in the Greek Isles. So they're planted in the ground and then they kind of make a basket almost out of them. Um, so they grow in like this circular formation in these little sunken holes in the soil so that they can get the nutrients that they need and they're protected from the elements. It doesn't rain a ton in Lanzarote. So that's another thing to think about. They, the volcanic ashes that cover that topsoil usually do a really good job though of retaining water because it absorbs it very well, almost like a sponge. And so that makes things a lot easier. So you still do have 
um, quite a few vineyards who practice dry irrigation, despite the fact that it doesn't rain a ton. What about this specific winery, Bermejos? Oh, I love it so much. Their tasting room's fucking glorious. What's but it like? So it's it's this old kind of colonial style white farmhouse structure that looks you know like nothing like you drive into the to their property and there's all these trees and you park out there and from you actually enter what is probably more the backside of the building and it doesn't look like it just looks like a fine white structure and then you walk in and you know of course they have their their welcome area and their cellar but the real deal is when you go out to their back patio and it's just this expansive patio that runs along the side of the building and you overlook the vines as you do your tasting and it's so peaceful and it's so beautiful and it's just such a relaxing experience to be there. It's one of the least pretentious tasting rooms I have ever been in. I highly recommend it. And I was, you know, I know I love the winery. I've been there, um, but I was able to do a little more research on their history. That's pretty cool. So for centuries, Bromejos actually belonged to one of the most prominent families in Lanzarote and produced wine for many, many years. They eventually stopped though, you know, the family fell on hard times. They really didn't have the resources to do it. And the vineyards and the bodega just lay dormant. And so um, they, in their, on their website, they talk about it uh, kind of mirroring the volcano on the island, right? Like this dormant force that's just sort of waiting to reawaken. I love the drama of it all. And in 2001, so actually fairly recently in, in winemaking terms, right? So just 20 years ago, the winery reopened their doors under a new management team that really sought to leverage strong knowledge of cultivation and the very particular grapes and growing conditions on the island to build on the family tradition that had started centuries before. And so they really became committed to higher-end winemaking practices. And today, they're one of the leading producers on the island. They're highly respected within the winemaking community there. Everyone knows them. Everyone knows their wines. Uh, and, you know, their philosophy, I think, as a, as a wine producer hasn't really changed much since when they started. They're very terroir forward. So I'm going to read you something else from their website. They say, undoubtedly, the island of Lanzarote is our best ally, providing us with understanding and unbeatable conditions to achieve the uniqueness of our wine. Everything is given in our land from the singularity of the climate, the volcanic nature of the soil, the grape varieties, to the unprecedented ways of cultivating the grapes. All we must do is bottle the juice that emerges from the fermented grapes without any manipulation, transformation, nor enhancements. Our wines simply reflect the richness of our land, our landscape, and the efforts of our cultivators. That's a really beautiful statement. It's really lovely. 
Yeah, they they do it right there. Um, and I couldn't have said this better myself, so I borrowed it from them. <laughs> but yeah, I think the low intervention thing is, or methodology is really important uh, to really appreciating the beauty in these bottles. So their core philosophy um, too is something I want to share. They say, we make our wine to be drunk and not to be tasted. And I love that. I mean, I know that this podcast is all about learning about wine and tasting wine, but you also really want to enjoy it. I mean, you know, wine is a science and it is an art form, but it's also just lovely. It's just something that is so sensual and visceral and you don't have to be a wine expert to know what you like so like that first bottle of Bermejos I ever drank I had no idea what it was I had no knowledge of the varietals or the place or where it came from but it spoke to me in a way that I just I had to learn more and I enjoyed it every glass we got out of that bottle. Um, So I love that this is their philosophy. It's one of the ways that I like to approach wine drinking too. Um, And I think something that we've really promoted on this podcast where, you know, join wine shouldn't be hard. It should be fun. It should be enjoyable. Um, It should be joyful. Yeah. So are we ready to, uh, to dive into this wine? Heck yeah. So a little, uh, a little prep for people. We actually drank this wine together when Drea was visiting. So right now we are going to take you back in time to Drea's Brooklyn hotel room, the murder hotel for all of you who remember. Welcome to the past. Uh, we are now back in Andrea's murder hotel room is straight up a tomb. You guys. <laughs> So again, if you hear some slight differences in the sound quality in this section of the recording versus earlier, that's why we're we're in the past and we're about to get murdered. So, uh, Drea, what are we looking at in our glass today? We've been talking about one of my favorite wines from one of my favorite bodegas in the world. Uh, this is the Lasan Negro. It's a carbonic out of Bermejos in Lanzarote. And I love this wine. I love this wine so much. And I think we should take a moment to really appreciate the color. What are you seeing in your gu- in your glass? Again, in full, dis- full disclosure, we're drinking out of plastic cups again. It's a very ruby color. It's very jewel-toned. It's really pretty. How would you describe it? Yeah, it's definitely like got that garnet tone to it. Um, okay, I'm gonna drop a Disney reference. So, in Disney's 1970s classic Robin Hood, the red jewels that Prince John wears. Yeah, that's a deep cut. Yeah, you're all welcome. You're all welcome. That's what we're here for. Uh, yeah, no, it's a very beautiful garnet color. It's such a clear wine, too, for a carbonic maceration. We've talked about these on the podcast before, and um, we've definitely talked about them this episode, or we will when we go back to the past, future, whatever. I am not good with time. Uh, but it's certainly, for a carbonic, is incredibly clear 
which I really appreciate this wine. There's there's no cloudiness. There's really not any sediment. I mean, there might be sediment at the bottom of the bottle. <laughs> we'll have to find out. But for the most part, I've had this wine many a time before, and you don't see a lot of this of uh, sediment. Also, because it's a carbonic, drinking them kind of young, right? This is the 2020 vintage, um, and it's still going to have all the characteristics of the terroir that we've been discussing. Cool. Well, should we give it a sniff? Yeah, let's do a sniff. Oh, someone take me back to Lanza Lothar. Just What are you getting? Are you getting the full island experience? I am. I really, really am. I mean, so you do get that first punch of fruit. I'm getting red plum, cherry, raspberry, a little bit of blueberry. There's a lot of really bright red summer fruit in there, I think. But then that minerality really hits you in the form of a bit of herbaceousness, a little bit of wood. For me, there's almost a bit of smokiness that comes with that too. Is that intentional, the smokiness? No, so it's it's definitely not like um, smoke taint. So okay. when we had our guest recently, Anna Strada from Jenny and Francois, we talked about smoke taint, which is kind of a reality now if you're drinking wines from California, quite frankly. Uh, unless that wine has been heavily, heavily tampered with in terms of, you know, blending and chemical additives to get rid of that. But you're you're definitely going to be dealing with some smoke taint. That is not in this wine. That is just coming from that deep, dark, black, volcanic soil that you're finding on the island. Okay, are we ready to taste? Well, wait, we can talk about what, what observations are on your nose. I mean, get out of truly, work. truly, I think this, like these two recordings that we've done in your hotel room have taught me the importance of wine glasses. I think I'm getting a little bit of beneath the soap and the plastic. I'm getting a little bit of, uh, which is again, totally the fault of the cup, not the fault of the wine. Not the fault of the wine. I think I'm getting a little bit of cranberry. I'm getting a little bit of even like apple and cranberry. Like okay. ocean spray cran apple? I think so. Wow. Okay. So now can we taste it? All right, yeah, give it a whirl. I think, again, similar to the wine we were drinking last night, there's a there's a mouthfeel here that is more present than I think in some of the lighter wines that we've had. Like, I'm wondering if I, I wonder if this is like, is this like a feature of red wines or heavier red wines than we've had before? I know this isn't a heavy red wine, but like, you know, that sort of like tongue tingliness. So this, uh, this red actually has some really good acid mm. to it, um, which I appreciate. So you're definitely getting that punch of acid, but what it mellows into, I think is just this really luxurious, rich, silky, mineral-esque red. Mm. And part of that punch too. So it's the acid and it's that minerality. You know, these wines, when you t you get the fruit on the nose quite a bit, but not as much on the palate, mm -hmm. um, which is why, you know, some establishments, as we've discussed, refer to this as wet rocks, right? But you're getting that earthiness that comes across in that minerality. And that's a little bit where that like hint of smokiness comes from, because again, it's a volcanic rich soil. Mm -hmm. And we'll post some pictures on the Instagram um, of the island and the vines and the soil so that people can actually see what we're talking about when we describe their winemaking processes there. For me, this is a red that is an every season red. So I've opened a bottle of this like 
around the holidays. I'll drink it in the summer, you know, because it's a carbonic, it's nice to put just a very slight chill on it. I think, um, I would drop it down to maybe like between 59 and 62, somewhere in there, nothing too crazy, but just to, to really highlight, I think some of that minerality a bit more and that crispness. Um, so I would drink this anytime, any place. When you taste this wine, does it take you back to Lanzarote? And if so, can you describe how? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the wines there are so terroir fo- focused. They're so distinctive um, in their flavor profiles because of where they grow that I can't help but literally like feel the cool breeze off the Atlantic you know, see kind of these beautiful black sand hills that make you feel like you're on another planet. Uh, The island gets incredibly windy, especially at night. So you really can kind of feel that chill coming through you. Uh, It's just such a special, distinctive place. And, you know, the wines are very distinctive as well. And so I was, for example, I was at a restaurant um, in Barcelona and it was, it was a fine dining establishment. They had an impeccable wine list and I ordered a wine, not this wine, but a different Mustan from Lanzarote. And Sam actually came over and said, hi, I just want to make sure you know what you're doing and you know, what and I was like, I am familiar, but you know, they, I, I later got to know the Sam and now he's a dear friend, but you know, we talk about that, that moment where we, we met and sort of gave each other mutual shit. Right. But it's also, I understand where he's coming from because when people order a wine like this and they expect it to, to pour like a Cabernet or a Pinot Noir or even a, like a California Zen, like that's not what they're going to get. And that's what I love about the wines from this region is they are so, distinctive they have such huge character and to me they're wild they just there's nothing else i've ever tasted that hits quite like a wine from the canary islands so what would be a situation besides being in lanzarote that you would drink this wine in um this is definitely a wine that i keep on the shelf you know, Bermejos is one of the few bodegas in Lanzarote that has pretty decent U.S. distribution. Uh, we actually purchased this bottle at Astor Wines in Manhattan. So, you know, it's readily available. They have it in San Diego. I have gotten very lucky to get to know the um, distributor this wine who works in Southern California. So yeah, because tip- you keep them in business. Well, I typically, you know, all... Like, I buy this stuff by the case. Like, she's not going to lie about it. So I always have this on hand. But this is one of those bottles I reach for, for, like, a fairly special occasion. Like, this is not just the wine I'm opening on a Thursday night after a long week. Like, this is the wine I'm opening up for, like, something really good happened. Or we have a really good friend coming to dinner. Or I've made a really special, beautiful dinner. Um... It's definitely a wine I typically want to be able to savor and to enjoy and to mark some sort of occasion with. It's that's and 
not necessarily because it's expensive or it's hard to come by because it's neither but because it's a wine that's special to me how about you where where are you taking this well so i think part of this is just a little bit of wishful thinking of like what i want to be doing right now or what i want to be looking forward to my mom and i used to go up to um a cabin in winter park colorado and it's it's a ski area um we would we aren't a family of skiers but we'd go hiking or we'd go snowshoeing if it was winter time there's also some really great natural hot springs there so we would go to the hot springs delightful it's super great um it's you know obviously really cold outside but then you get in the hot springs and it's just delightful and then in the evenings we would go back to the cabin and we would make i mean and i say cabin but it's if i'm being honest more like a chateau um well then So we'd go, we'd we'd make a good dinner, we'd light a fire, you know, and just have like a nice evening. And and I can really, I feel like this would be a great wine to kind of end an evening sitting by a fire, maybe reading a book, you know, just kind of hanging out. I think that would be really delightful. The dream, literally the dream. Okay. So while you are enjoying this wine by the fire, what are you, what are you reading? So I picked up from the library recently some Agatha Christie mysteries. Very nice. Very and nice. I think that this wine, you know, there's there's some mystery to it. There's some depth of flavor of like mm-hmm. things keep happening. And, you know, like like we just said in the tasting a minute ago, um, th- you get something on the nose and then it's different when it's in your mouth. It evolves. Yeah. What about you? What would you read with this? So I would read um, really anything by Jose Saramago who is a Portuguese writer um, who actually lived in Lanzarote. He has a house there. It's now, you know, his foundation Mm -hmm. and his his private library that you can go visit. But I really love the poignancy of his works. I think they're beautifully written, but they're, they're definitely an acquired taste. Like you have to be an invested and nuanced reader to really enjoy them and their messaging. And I feel like this wine is very similar. Plus I like the, I like, like the Lanzarote twinning. So we're going to do that. Nice. Nice. Um, who would you, what celebrity would you want to drink this wine with? I got this. I got this. I'm also sticking with my Lanzarote theme. Yeah. Omar Sharif. So Omar Sharif, Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia, yep. Dr. Zhivago, old-timey movie star, ridiculously handsome. Omar Sharif had an insane house in Lanzarote. Um, this place looks... So it was designed by Cesar Manrique, who was a very famous architect from the island and designed a lot of the, the major cultural sites on the island. So... Omar Sharif had this house that had been uh, commissioned by Manrique, and it's wild. Like, this is 100% a party palace. Like, it's open air, there are all these waterfalls and pools and, like, weird little rooms. It is wild. So you can go there now and visit, and it's, like, a museum by day and a nightclub and restaurant by night. It's so much fun. But the whole, like the story, the mythology behind this house is so Omar Sharif, you know, bought it, um, had Manrique work on it, all of this stuff. And supposedly, 
legend goes, he lost the deed to the house in a poker game. Oh, because shit. Because he was quite the gambler. So, again, don't know if it's true or not, but, like, this wine has a little bit of fun and a little bit of an air of mystery. And I kind of want the real story. So, Omar, zombie time, you coming back. We're going to talk about it. <laughs> about Murder Hotel. You can come see me. Sure, 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 sure. What celebrity are you entertaining with this bottle? Well, so I feel a little bit like I'm cheating because I'm picking another author. Um, I am getting Pablo Neruda vibes from this wine. Okay. Yeah, I so, respect that. I like again, that. another zombie dinner party. Well, I mean, tis the season. Mm-hmm. Spooky season. <laughs> yeah, I think I think Pablo and I are going to chat poetry over this wine. I like it. And by Jose, he'd be yeah. in there, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um... What about music in the background? What do you got? Oh, it's a harder one. I want straight up like 40s, like Benny Goodman, mm. that type of that type of jam. I want something long and lingering and happy. Um, yeah, I want some solid. What is it used to be 40s on four? I love 40s music. My husband is constantly creeped out by it. <laughs> So we, on on this trip with Andrea, we went to the McKittrick Hotel to their Follies show. It was sort of a series of performers and singers, and they had sort of little jokes in between. It was it was entertaining. It was a good time, and it, it kind of sexy. had like um, I don't know, like a '30s '40s vibe yeah, to it. Absolutely. Um, and I think that in the background, like on an old Victrola with like the record scratch a little bit for the spookiness. I think that would be delightful. Oh, I was literally just going to play it on my Spotify, but that's fine. Well, I want that record scratch. Awesome. Uh, did we miss anything? Any, any, I mean, this is a wine that is important to you. This is about a place that is important to you. Anything that we should leave the listener with? Be adventurous in your drinking. You know, I've done a lot of tasting in a lot of different places and my education in wine has really been like very hands-on and the more you taste the more you drink local juice the more you talk to people who are making wine and selling wine and educating locally in places that you're tasting about wine the more your palate develops so get out there explore crazy places you thought you'd never go and enjoy and to paraphrase from my favorite uh podcast drink good wine and don't get murdered oh boy all right (laughs) (laughs) welcome back we are back in present time uh we survived the murder hotel so drea where can if folks want to drink along with us where can they get this wine Absolutely. So as I mentioned earlier, uh, Bermejos is one of the few Lanzarote wineries that has really decent distribution in the United States with reps across the country. So if they don't have it in stock at your local wine shop, ask them to do a special order for you. Uh, And even if they're like, girl, that's going to be a case do it. You will not be sorry. Uh, The other thing you can do, though, is you can reach out to the winery directly for stateside purchasing information. And their website is www.losbermejos, that's L-O-S-B-E-R-M-E-J-O-S.com. All their distributors are listed there. And 
chances are, you know, if you check the distributor's website, they will tell you where you can get those wines. Um, so they're pretty readily available. And like I said, I haven't had a wine from them that I, I do not love. So whatever you can get your hands on, go for it. So we'll put the uh, website in the show description. So definitely check it out. Um, and for our next episode, uh, we will be revisiting a, a topic we have covered on the podcast before. We're going to be talking about colonialism. Uh, it's almost time for Thanksgiving. So it te- seems like time for another discussion of uh, the ways that colonization continues to impact everyone, including the wine industry today. Uh, and you know, we're going to be coming in hot for that episode. So you've all been warned. So if you like what we're doing here, if you're enjoying this podcast, please go ahead and give us a rating and review. You can go to Apple iTunes and just, you know, for your own convenience, just hit five stars. It's easier than trying to decide, you know, how many stars you think we actually deserve. Just go for five. It's, it's simple that way. Um, if you want to add some more thoughts to it, write some words. We really appreciate it. And if you are interested in, uh, kind of what we're doing and following along, you can follow us on Instagram at two girls and a grape pod. You can tweet us at two girls and a grape. That's two, like the number. Um, or you can always email us at two girls and a grape pod at gmail.com. Anything else to say for this episode, Drea? Just that I may never redeem myself. Well, until next time. Until next time. Salud. Salud.